Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. see something in person that I had not before, but I've watched on YouTube literally hundreds of times. And that is my friend Tyler. He, well, he's playing guitar up here. Um, one of my oldest friends. I had the honor of marrying uh, him and uh, his wife, Tony, great friends of ours. And his wedding gift to Tony was those glasses that you put on to make where you're colorblind and you put them on and you all of a sudden see color for the first time. I don't know if anybody's ever watched those videos on YouTube. I cry my eyes out. And sometimes I just watch, it's a rabbit hole for me, I gotta be real honest, uh, watching those things. It's so incredible and emotional and every single time there's tears, it doesn't matter if it's like a grandpa or like a five-year-old, they start crying because it's like, this is the same world I've always seen, but all of a sudden, I literally see it in a new light. I literally see something in a way I've never seen it before. For the first time, this very same world is new to me again. And I think that literally is a, a perfect picture for the journey of our faith, for the journey of what faith does in us. We, we don't see a brand new world, but we see the same world in a brand new new way with different eyes. That's the heart of the, our text that we just heard today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, how Jesus changes the way we see ourselves, how we see our neighbors, how we see our, our purpose, the way we see the whole world. When we come to Jesus, Jesus is a new lens through which we understand and see reality. That's right before this. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Right before we, we, uh, what we read earlier, Paul writes this. He says, for, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, Paul is considered the greatest missionary in the world, and the history of the church, and what motivates him in his ministry, what motivates him in his mission is, is not fear, it's not right doctrine, it's not some sort of moral superiority. What motivates the greatest missionary that ever lived was love, was the love that he had received, was the love that he, in receiving, could not do anything but give away himself. And so because of this, he became the hands and the feet and the voice of good news to so many countries and peoples. And that's when we get to where we started today. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So let's ask, like, what does it mean for us to see people uh, with a worldly, the worldly point of view? I mean, if, they're, if we're honest, I think there's probably, there's standards, there's external measurements that we all have that, that form the basis of how we measure ourselves against everybody else, against our neighbors, against our enemies. It's how we come to see ourselves in the mirror as we look at other people. You think about that. Think about how much uh, money do they make? 
You ever compared yourself to someone, whether they have more money than you? How attractive are they? I usually sit that one out. Um, what are the views that they have? I mean, what, 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 who'd they vote for? If they voted for that guy, I am better. Let's be honest. What kind of church do they go to? Um, you know, how, how correct is their doctrine and theology? Is it right? On and on and on. You probably have one. You probably have one you're thinking of, maybe one of these, maybe something else. That's the external measurement for how we measure up, for how we give ourselves the standard by which we understand who is right, who is wrong, who is bad, who is good. And the problem with these standards, the problem with looking at these worldly points of view and the way we see people is that they're constantly in flux, right? They're constantly changing. I mean, our standards for what is right and wrong in the worldly point of view, for who is good, for who is bad, for who is successful, for who is a failure, it is always changing. Always. Usually, it changes for how it benefits us, right? So we see this, that Paul is saying that Jesus then disrupts the measurements, the standards that we have for people. When we come to Christ, the way that we have measured, the way that we have understood the value of people, who is on top and who is on bottom, who is good, who is bad, who is right, who is wrong, Jesus should disrupt that. Jesus should stand directly in front of the way that we used to see people and give us a completely different point of view. Paul says here, we used to see Jesus that way. Now, Paul, Paul was a Pharisee, very strict Pharisee, so his external standards were extremely high. I mean, they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that they had to live up to externally, internally, all sorts of things. And so when, when Paul, this very, very prominent Pharisee, looks at Jesus, he, he doesn't see anybody by worldly standards who would really have anything to offer. I mean, he was poor. He didn't come from an influential family. He obviously hung out with the wrong people. He broke all kinds of customs and laws that they'd established for themselves. Jesus did not meet up to the standard. And Paul admits, I was wrong about Jesus. I was wrong about him. And I think if Paul can get Jesus wrong, I think it's probable that we can get people wrong too. That when we force the worldly points of view, when we force the measurements and standards of the world around us, we get people wrong a lot. And love makes that abundantly clear. When we are compelled by Christ's love, when Jesus dips, disrupts these standards by which we have put up to measure people, everything changes. This just changes the way that you and I see the gospel as well. Paul continues. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Forty-five times in the New Testament, we're, we're told that we are in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Do you ever think about that? It's a, it's a very strange language to how we would process our faith. It's talking about the language of oneness, about mutual indwelling, Christ in us and us in Christ together. We see this echoed in John 15. Jesus is talking about this mutual indwelling, this 
in Christness. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, like a vine, we're growing deeper into Christ and, and spiritual growth, spiritual formation in our lives is us growing deeper into Christ himself as Christ grows deeper in us. And the result of this, Paul says, is new creation, bearing fruit, new life comes about in us as we grow deeper in Christ and as Christ grows deeper in us. And the best part about this, these eight words, the old has gone, the new is here. This is one of the first verses I remember memorizing in youth group as a kid. I mean, it's one of the, I mean, this is the don't stop believing of Paul. I mean, it's one of the, it's the go-to. This is the, the real meat of what Paul talks about. And, and that, that it's a movement, we see this, out of this being in Christ. It says the old is gone, the new is here. This is a, this is a movement. It's not just something that is, a snap happens and then everything changes. Obviously, when we come to faith in Christ, when, maybe when you came to faith in Christ, did you immediately have every single behavior thing change? No. So that's not what Paul is saying when the old is gone, the new is here. But fundamentally, our identity and our standing with God has changed in Christ. Where we stand now with God is different. Paul writes about this in Colossians 1.15. He says, for, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into, important language there, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So in Christ, our spiritual standing, where we are, has fundamentally changed. And because of this, out of this, our lives then fundamentally change. What religion will tell you is that if you change your behavior, if you change your outward expectations, the outward standards, then God will give you a new standing. But that's not the gospel that we see in the scriptures. The gospel is that as we are brought into the kingdom of the Son who loves us, as we are brought into Christ, Christ in us, out of this, our lives begin to change. To get those two things backwards is to literally miss the gospel. And it's preached a whole lot that we have to change in order to get in good standing with God. And it's just not what we see. And that's good news. But while we see this change in us, we, we should know that this change always moves outside of us. There is no change inwardly in Christ that does not then move outward into the lives of others. So Paul continues, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what God did for us in Christ is both the means and now the model of the mission that we have. We are then, because Christ has reconciled us to God, we are then by nature reconcilers ourselves. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are reconcilers. We are the ones who join God in bringing together what has been torn apart. This should look very, very, very different from the world. See, we're, we're discipled to, to demonize and to diminish and to divide, aren't we? That's what we learn every single day in overt and covert ways. We are taught to look out by the standards of this world, and if they are not like us, 
if they're on the other side, then they're against us. This is what it means to see the world through a worldly point of view. We find our identity in who we're not, not what we're for. We find our identity in who we're against and not what has been given to us in Christ. And so we listen to podcasts and watch news channels and things that continuously teach us over and over again to keep us informed of who the enemy is. Notice, as you watch those things, as you listen to those things, the one thing that's always abundantly clear is who is the enemy. They always want you to know who the enemy is. They are discipling us to demonize. They are discipling us to diminish the humanity in others. They're discipling us to divide and to defeat the people that we're supposed to hate at all costs. And that is literally the definition of seeing people through a worldly point of view. But the gospel of Jesus, when the gospel of Jesus meets us, the gospel, it transforms us, transforms us from, from demonizers to reconcilers. Instead of being and joining the world and bringing apart everything and tearing apart relationships and, and dividing who people are from the right and the wrong and the good and the bad and always our ever-changing standards being the source of this, we become bridge builders. We start to see the ways that we've put up walls and we start tearing down those walls in order to build the bridges that we need between people who are often very different. We begin listening to people's stories instead of just assuming what we did before. This is the heart of Christ. We are, by nature, reconcilers. I love in David Fitch in his book, Faithful Presence, he says, reconciliation is so central to the good news of what God has done in Christ that to see no reconciliation in our churches suggests that there is no gospel in them. Reconciliation marks our presence in the world. In other words, it's not something we simply do. It's not just one ministry of the church to seek reconciliation as a side project. We are by nature we are at our core reconcilers in Christ. We are in Christ those who have been sent with the ministry and message of reconciliation. I, I just want to ask, I know maybe this is rhetorical, but, but do, you, do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that in Christ you have been equipped and empowered to reconcile in a world of division? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the church should be a people who in division bring things together, repair, restore? I don't have to tell you that a lot of Christians, a lot of churches in America, we've, we've done a really bad job at this. We've not been known as reconcilers. We have joined often, too often, the demonization, the diminishing of humanity. We have joined in in division and creating division and upholding and even celebrating division in the name of Jesus. And it's another gospel altogether. We've been known for building walls too often instead of building bridges. We've been known for putting barriers between us and others and not realizing that as we do that, we're putting barriers between them and Jesus. There is also on the other side of this, though, a cheap 
counterfeit sort of reconciliation that we, we, we try to bring about. When A lot of times when we re- recognize that this is our calling, we want, to, we want to see people come together, we want to see unity, but what unity ends up looking like is just uniformity. So we, we believe this lie that, that our differences cause division. So if we want to end division, we need to end difference. We need to make everybody alike. We need to just come and, and, and see uh, one whole group of people that just think alike. I don't know if y'all know this or not. This is a little off script, but they literally taught ch- pastors and churches in the 80s to plant around one specific people group that are only like this specific people group. They're literally taught back in the 80s to do this. A lot of the church culture that we're found, we find now was built on just trying to reach one kind of people. It's wild. One of the ways we do this kind of on a normal basis in the, on, as individuals we say something like, I don't see color. You heard that before? Maybe you said that before. I know. I don't see color. Which is, I know, well-meaning well-meaning, but God made our differences. God is reflected in these differences. We see the image of God in our differences more, even more than we could if we only saw people that look like us and acted like us. I love in her book, Be the Bridge, which if you want to get involved in a Be the Bridge group, I'm sure we're going to have those coming soon. Latasha Morrison says, in the love of the family of God, we must become color brave, color caring, color honoring, and not color blind. We have to recognize the image of God in one another. We have to love despite and even because of our differences. It also means that in order for there to be reconciliation, we have to say, you don't have to become like me. You don't have to look like me. You don't have to act like me. But in Christ, that is where the center of reconciliation is. We may not come together on a lot of different things, but we can come together in Christ as the family of God. Look how Paul says this. He uses two words, ministry and message, words and and works. Ministry literally means here the service. It's, It's reconciliation in action. It's the hands and feet of building bridges of reconciliation. It's the way we serve our neighbors. It's the way that we give a visible sign of God's reconciling heart to the world. And it opens the door often to the message of reconciliation. One of the ways I've seen this happen over and over again is when we step out, even before words are spoken to people, and show by our actions, by hands and feet, the reconciliation of Christ, it almost always opens a door for a conversation, for an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus' reconciling love. It almost always does. It's sharing the gospel, but also living the gospel. It's, it's as we've said a lot around here, we, we always say it's our calling not just to believe good news, but to be good news as well. Reconciliation, it's this both and within the church. It is ministry and it is message. A lot of times we separate these two. We just do ministry, we just do the service, we just go out and do stuff, and we are a little too scared to actually say something about what the gospel actually is. But on the other side, we can sit here and say, I'm just going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to hold my neighbor at arm's length. And I'm never going to actually enter into the world. I'm never going to actually enter into the difference. Paul says ministry and message of reconciliation. We are called to both. They are two sides of the same coin. Preach the gospel and live 
the gospel. This is how Paul continues. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Think about it. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who is sent out as a representative of the kingdom or country of their birth. An ambassador is someone who is, is given the opportunity to act on behalf of the will of the king. They find themselves, yes, in a foreign land. They do not belong here in terms of where they are now, but even in a foreign land, they represent and live out the kingdom from which they have come. That's what an ambassador does. Paul intentionally uses this language that we are ambassadors of Christ. Even in a foreign land, we are those who recognize the kingdom we have come out of the kingdom that we dwell in ourselves, the kingdom that has formed us. And in the midst of a foreign land, we live and represent and act on behalf of the will of our King Jesus. That's the re re responsibility we've been given. And as an ambassador, we have this sense of identity and authority that has been bestowed upon us. We act. God, entrust us with the kingdom. Entrust us with the ministry and message of reconciliation. And it says there that, that we are proclaiming, we're imploring on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Our lives together are sharing a message for better or for worse. For better or for worse, we are giving a picture of what Jesus is like. We can't stop that. So, that's sobering. It should be sobering. So, if we continue to walk in this pattern, this world of the, of the demonization, of the diminishing of people's humanity, of dividing our world around us, that's the kind of God people will think Jesus is. We naturally preach the gospel with our lives, whatever gospel that may be. And sometimes it might not be the gospel that we see in the scriptures. And so we, as a church, must remember that part of what it means to be the body of Christ is that our common story together, the little things that we share together, all of these things are pointing to the God that we believe in are pointing to the Jesus we have been called into. And so we have to say, is this being reconciling for God? You know, when we're serving pregnant moms overcoming addiction across the street, that's saying, be reconciled to God. When we're serving, as I know many of you have, this Afghan family and caring for them, it's a message of reconciling, be reconciled to God. When we're sharing meals and conversations in our home churches and our kids are running around crazy and screaming when we can barely hear what is happening, that's saying be reconciled to God. When we're hosting Easter egg hunts at these places and serving in our local community centers, we're saying be reconciled to God when we are, are in so many seen ways and so many unseen ways. I, I love the stories I get to hear during the week of like, this is not something you could announce and it's not something that you could put on the screen or on a Facebook post or anything like that, but ministry is happening. Kingdom is happening. It's happening all the time in unseen ways, in ways that you never have seen. I love it. I love it. God is making his appeal through us 
to use Paul's language, God is making his appeal through the way we live our lives together. That's one of the reasons we wanted to call this restoration, is that we saw a tear-down, tear-apart world, and we wanted to be different. We wanted to restore what had been broken. Paul ends, he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of those verses that is like a diamond in the sunlight. It's, as you turn it, you begin to see it in so many different lights. It's just so multifaceted and beautiful. This verse speaks of the cross. And it's kind of weird almost. It's almost like a tack-on verse to something else, but it's intentional in what Paul is bringing about because on the cross what we see Jesus doing is carrying and embodying the full weight of our our sin and our, our shame and when Jesus died that the penalty and the power of our sin died with it and on the on the cross the sins of the world he's bearing these sins and so the sin that separates us because of the power of the cross, that's why reconciliation is possible. We're not just seeing reconciliation with us and God. We're seeing rec reconciliation being possible between very different kind of people, people like us in this room. The cross is, is powerful enough not just to unite us with God, but to make unity possible here. It says he transfers his righteousness to us. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. We offer our sin to Jesus. He gives us his righteousness. We don't achieve this righteousness. It is given to us. We receive it. This is the revelation of who God is. This is not a death to appease God. This is a death to reveal his heart and what it has always been for us. And that's just part of the good news because that word righteousness, my friends, it can also be translated as justice as justice, wholeness in and around us. Jesus didn't die just to save us as individuals for heaven when we die. That's great. It's true. But we're saved for more. He, he died to empower reconcilers like us right here in the here and now in this world. And so as, as the team comes, as we move into a time of communion, I want to celebrate that together. That when we take these elements, the body of Christ broken for us, the, the blood of Christ shed for our sin, when we're sitting here, when we're praying and, and literally holding in our hand these reminders of the cross of Christ, we're holding possibility of something so beautiful that can happen not just in the next life, but can happen in this life. And I know brokenness in people is hard, and sometimes that reconciliation is difficult. It is difficult when people have hurt us, shamed us, divided us, kept us out. The power we need, the power that we have is in the cross to not only reconcile us to God, but to make these bridges between us possible. So the question is today, will we begin building? with this quote from N.C. Wright. He says, the resurrection of Jesus launched a new and newly integrated way of life. 
all that stood in the way of justice and peace, all the selfish concerns, petty jealousies, ambitions and rivalries and sheer human nastiness belong to the old world, to the old age that has been superseded by the new world of Easter. The power of evil that had lent its weight to injustice and oppression for so many centuries had been defeated on the cross. Lord Jesus, we celebrate this morning that we don't just come to a religious symbol, we come to the means and the model of our salvation, of our mission in this world. Here in this Lenten season, God, as we move towards Good Friday, as we move towards the resurrection of Jesus, we walk with you towards this cross. You were despised and rejected. You are a man of sorrows, familiar with shame. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turns to our own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So as we receive from you today, Lord, place in our heart that hope that there can be restoration, that there can be reconciliation in this world. Lord, empower us to be the hands and the feet and the voice of that reconciliation. I pray this in Jesus' name.